1: Welcome to Out of the Comfort Zone. Pace and constant change. Now, you've probably heard that many times. And in the last year, I think we've been saying the pace has accelerated beyond anybody's imagination. I think we're all a little astounded at the current levels of change, to be quite honest. But to quote my guest today, the job of the leader is to lead change. One pause. Otherwise, the leader is managing the status quo. However, leading change is not about running a change process, perhaps in contrast to what a lot of people might have advised you to do. I think it's much messier and, well, much more human than that, and I see it over and over again. A leadership team does a lot of thinking, a lot of planning. They come up with a much-needed strategic change. Maybe even it's the right strategic change. They announce it to the organization and probably even explain why, doing a reasonable job, and then basically, nothing happens, or rather, not much happens. And Then the leadership team is surprised, shocked, frustrated, and frequently starts to say, geez, Wanda, we have the wrong team. How do we replace everybody? So The problem, though, is not the strategy or the leadership team or the announcement. It's their entire approach to change, and that's what I want to talk about today. How do you lead change, and uh, by the way, how do you change yourself along the way? So My guest today is Campbell McPherson. He's an international business advisor, an executive fellow of Henley Business School, and the author of two books— The Change Catalyst, which was a 2018 business book of the year, and his second most recent book is The Power to Change, How to Embrace Change and Make It Work for You. Now, Campbell has been leading strategic change and enabling strategic change for more than 25 years, working with organizations across the UK, Europe, US, Asia, Australia, and the Middle East. I think the only one we left out was Antarctica. Maybe we'll have to come back to that one. Where his goal has been to clarify their strategy, build the cultures that embrace change, align the people to deliver that change. And he's worked with C as a CEO, strategy director, HR director, marketing director, e business director, board member, change leader, business advisor, and NED on boards. Multimedia entrepreneur, and by the way, started his career flying jets in the Air Force. He does comment badly, but I think anybody who's flying jets and still standing can't have done too bad of a job of it. Campbell, welcome to the show.
2: Thank you so much. Thank you so much. It's absolutely a pleasure to be here with you, Wanda. Thank you.
1: Likewise. I am so looking forward to this conversation. Change is one of the things that I get asked so frequently about. It's a thing that I have a lot of passion about, both personally and organizationally. But why does it matter to you? Why did you start down this
2: journey? Well, that's a great, great question. My mad and eclectic collection of careers, as you've sort of just just skimmed the surface of of there. Started out, you know, with the air force, where I, I like to say I accidentally joined the air force straight from straight from high school, um, and ever since. Not succeeding in the Air Force, I still hold the record for being the worst pilot ever to make it through to jets um, not succeeding there was the start of a whole uh, litany of careers all based on change. I suppose it was 25 years ago when I joined Addison Consulting where I realized that change could actually be uh, a discipline and from then on i was I was really hooked so uh, everything that i've ever done is really focused on on change and there's two key problems I'm trying to solve here and, and one is how to help organizations to succeed when 88% of change initiatives fail. And we'll yeah. probably come back to that I would guess yeah. and, and then how to help people embrace change and thrive through uncertainty and that second one uh, has really uh, been hammered home to me in the last year and um, and that's that's the subject of, of the latest book.
1: Right. And one, we are going to come to that. We'll come to it in the second half of the show for sure, because I can imagine a lot of people tuning in are keen to say, how do I manage it? And I know a lot of my clients are asking me how to deal with the uncertainty. But I want to lay the landscape here because I think if you don't understand the dynamics of change within an organization, it's sort of hard to put yourself into that package and say, great, How am I going to make this change? So let's start with the organizational side. And I'm going to pick up the tease you just gave me. 88% of change initiatives fail. Why?
2: Well, that was, of course, 88% was from Bain & Co. back in 2016. And McKinsey's have talked about 70%. And then Cotter mentioned 65%. We can all agree that the vast majority of change initiatives uh, fail to deliver what they set out to achieve. And in fact, the same thing goes for mergers, acquisitions and business yeah. strategies as well, that the vast majority just don't deliver. So why? That's a great question. And as soon as I, I asked myself that, yeah. I had the hook for my, my first book and and the first 10 chapters of The Change Catalyst go some way to try and describe why. And to me, it all comes down to leadership. It comes down to empathetic leadership. But it's, it's leaders, as you said in, in the introduction, leaders who are, are clear about what they're trying to achieve but not only that, why? And quite a few leaders do that, but only to a superficial level. So they might do the, what are we trying to achieve? We, they get the numbers right, um, but they don't get the narrative right. Or when they explain why, they get the logic of why we need to change, but they don 't start to to have a look or even take any account of the emotional reason mm-hmm. of why we need to change so a lot of the reasons and I go through the top ten reasons why why people change in the workshops that I run but but it 's a lot to do with the fact that emotion trumps logic every time um, and and that that leaders don't regard change as as an outcome that needs to be achieved through people. They look at it as a process that needs, that can be achieved through logic and it simply can't. Great.
1: All right. I got in trouble this week. (laughs) Again. (laughs) again, Yeah, again, right. What else is new with that story? But I got in trouble. I was doing um, a workshop with one of my clients around efficiency and this notion of we have gotten meetings, oh, we're just doing a bad job of meeting. So we've lost all the discipline that we ever had, and we're chewing up enormous amount of time and yep. energy and not getting anywhere in frustration. That was the, the flow. And one of the things that I was saying to this group of leaders is that logic is important. Yes, we have to do it, but it will never persuade anybody. That yeah. persuasion is an emotional process.
0: Yeah.
1: So here you are again saying emotion trumps logic. Now, with that particular character, I got a rather um, – Interesting exchange going afterwards (laughs) about logic and missing logic and how important logic was. And I don't want to say logic doesn't matter. Obviously, Mm -hmm. we have to be logical. But emotion trumps logic. Tell me a little bit more about that.
2: Yeah, logic's the bedrock, I would say. So there was a a wonderful uh, study done by the Corporate Leadership Council back in 2004 of 50,000 employees around the world. And they came to the conclusion that logic is only 20% of the, uh, will only get someone 20% of the way to actually be engaged in a strategy or, enga- or engaged in any sort of a change. And, and to me, change and strategy are, are sort change. of two sides of the same thing. So, so t- logic just gets you 20% of the way if you want to be really engaged and motivated to deliver. Then the other four fifths, is all emotions and they found that two two big triggers or two big levers really for uh, to be able to get people motivated and, and engaged ready to change and that is and that is the clarity that of the strategy and not just the clarity as we said before just in terms of numbers but the narrative as well and then the the degree the, emotionally, the, the degree of emotional intelligence, there we go, I'll put my teeth back in, the degree of emotional intelligence of their line manager. So, to me, there are leaders at every single part of an organization, and each one needs to be able to, to, to lead change and needs to be able to find the emotional triggers to help their people to want to change. Right.
1: Give me an example of what you mean by an emotional trigger.
2: Okay. Okay. It's, it's, it's the simplest example. When I ask for the exact question uh, in uh, that exact question in the workshops that I run, people will say, well, people want to know what's in it for me. Right. and and that's that's probably the easiest way to do it, but they but but it's it's sort of lazy as well, so they'll want to know logically what's in it for them, but then they'll want to know that it's good for their status, it's good for their identity there's a there's all these emotional reasons why I need to get on board you know with the change and it's not all just individualistic but it's it could be an emotional trigger could be um that my value is I want to be doing something for someone else. I want to make a difference in the world. I want this business to make a difference. And those sorts of emotions are the sorts of triggers you need to find. And the, as a leader and as a manager, and frankly, I'm stopped using the word manager. I think we're all leaders. Um, yeah. But as, as a leader, we have, we have to realize that every, every one of our people has a different emotional trigger. In a, dif- in a different circumstance, so we actually have to uh, personalize uh, and find the emotional triggers for each of our people. But it, it will be identity. It will be. It could be mandatory, but it'll be identity. It will be. It will be the feeling of belonging. It will be the need to to uh, to make a difference. And so everyone has a different trigger.
1: Okay. So you use the word emotional trigger, and I often use the word drivers. What is the driver? Same idea that we're talking about. What is the driver that gets somebody really excited about being a part of something? For some that's individualistics, for some, that's a belonging for some, that's a sense of I've got a contribution to make. I can be a part of it. There's a lot of, you're right. There are a lot of different ones. Um, And if
2: you flip it, they can also be barriers to change as well. Yes. Okay. So
1: say more about that.
2: Well, if it's simply, if we, if, um, if my values aren't aligned to what I perceive to be the values that are driving this change, then I'm instantly putting up a barrier mm-hmm. and, I'm, and I'm negative to the change. Mm-hmm. If, if I feel that there's going my identity or my status is going to be affected negatively, um, then I'm negative to the change. I'm, I'm instantly putting up a barrier. Um, and Or, or if I'm, I've been forced to do something new, this big change has been forced upon me, and and I haven't been engaged in understanding what are the implications of the change, or or this is the first thing I've heard of it, then then I'm instantly going to have negative thoughts. You know, we have more than 50,000 thoughts a day and 80% of them are negative. Right. So, so we, and it's an evolutionary, you know, uh, uh, throwback, really, protection mechanism. But so we'll have negative thoughts. And if we're not engaged in planning for the change, if it's just thrust upon us, then we're instantly going to have put all these negative thoughts and negative emotions that that will be barriers to, to change. Right. Now, there could be positive thoughts and positive emotions if we'd been engaged in the first place. But if we haven't, that's the flip side. So, right. you know, the our drivers and our barriers can often be uh, flip side, side to another.
1: All right. I want to talk about one of the barriers I see and get your reactions to this one. Cool. It's a slightly different than the emotional barriers. And it's obviously the stuff I talk about, this comfort zone thing. Dude. So my expertise. I actually think when I have, when I'm an expert and I'm coming to the team or to the organization and I'm bringing my expertise. And I think my value to the organization and the team is driven by my expertise. Yeah anything that disrupts that standing of expertise is a thing I'm going to fight against. And sometimes I'm going to fight against it just because you didn't call on my expertise while you were yeah. planning this process. So, what's your reaction to that?
2: Gosh, you see that so often. I mean, you see that so often, and so so do I, that, that people are to me, that's a it's it's more than just an ego thing. I lump all of that into emotions, you know. But because it's, but in a sense, there is a logic to that as well. That somebody's standing there and saying, "For goodness sakes, I was the expert in this particular process, this particular system, this particular whatever it happens to be," and you haven't consulted with me, you haven't engaged with me when we brought the change in. We see that all the time. So, to me, it's there's a logical part of that that actually says. Uh, they should have logically engaged with me, but oh my gosh, that gets swamped by the emotion <laughs> part of it that they didn't engage with me. So your your ego, your status, your pride, your, you know, they've all come to the fore, and. And the by not engaging with that person and getting their expertise out on the table, and um, you've unleashed a barrage of what I frankly think is, is emotions. The fact that they logically should have been <laughs> engaged is, is one thing, but you know, whoa, we're way past that. <laughs>
1: we're way past that. And even if you agree with it, sometime, it's the fact that you know, wait a minute, why wasn't a part of it? Is it? <laughs> yeah, exactly.
2: And that's yes, actually that's way. a really good point, yeah, <laughs> if you haven't engaged with me i'm I'm going to find it very hard. My logical part of my brain is saying this is the right thing to do. I'm the expert, I know this, but the emotional part of my brain is how dare you not engage me in this actually i I did uh, on this line, I did this uh, with a with a client, one of the best engagements I. I had was when the CEO turned up, and we were talking about this slightly before we went, went on air. The CEO turned up and said, Cam, come in. I've got the strategy, and I want you to do your workshops uh, and get everyone bought into my strategy, of which I, I put my head in my hands and said, okay, that's just that's, that's some great words in there, but they're not in the right order. Um, and what we did is we got all of his top 80 people into a room. And the CEO presented the strategy, and then I simply stood up and said, what could possibly go wrong? And everyone tittered. And then I I said, "When, when Martin was going through his strategy, all that was going through your brains were the challenges and the obstacles and the concerns, maybe even a few fears and the things he hadn't considered, and what I call implications to the strategy, let's get them all out on the table now. And so we did that, we then prioritized them and 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 then started to work on how to overcome them. So by the end of the day, he had eighty people not just bought into his strategy, but bought into their strategy and working out how to overcome the obstacles that were inside their head when the leader had said, this is what we're going to do.
1: Right. Well, and that accomplishes then what I see is missing most often in change initiatives that the senior team will come out or the CEO will come out and say, here's our new strategy, blah, 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 and our new goals and everything. And that sounds fine. Yeah. But I don't know how that changes my day-to-day work Yeah. unless I'm sitting on that leadership team and maybe mm-hmm. not even then. So, the tendency then is to say, well, that sounds great. Let me know how you get on with it. I'll wait till next
2: meeting. That's perfect. <laughs> I've, see, I've literally seen that and heard it said in the past. <laughs> in one of very large um, uh, financial services organization I was, I was a strategy director of, it was the CEO of the CFO who says, right, we're going to be a billion-dollar um, department. And we were $250 billion department at the time. And everyone said, we're going to do that within the next five years. And that was it. And everyone sat there and went, well, good luck. Let us know how you go. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Because it doesn't change my day to day, I don't have any. I don't no, I see do the connection to it in the day to day. So, all right, we're in agreement though with that one. All right, I want to come back to. So, you say that there are five truths about change. So, tell me about the five truths. I think you've yeah. hit them a bit, but let's we, be our we've
2: touched on a, a number of them. The first one is what my wife would call the BGO—a blinding glimpse of the obvious, which which is that change is inevitable, and yet if you think mm-hmm. about it, so many of us around the world at the moment are spending we've spent the last year waiting for this particular change to be over so we can get back to normal. And it's it's I wouldn't say it's the wrong way to think of it, because that, that's that's pejorative, but but it's it's not a healthy way to, to think of it because change is inevitable. So this change won't quite be over for a long time and actually we won't get quite back to the normal that we had. And even the new normal will be transitory. So so change is inevitable. And as soon as we just start to realize that and accept it, it, it's a great thing for us as leaders us as humans and and the organizations that we that we work for. The second one is all changes personal, even the largest of of organizational changes is actually the culmination culmination of a myriad of individual changes. The third truth and this is really what i 've distilled after twenty five years of of uh, trying to uh, uh, try to instigate change uh, successfully and and not not successfully as well the third one is that we all erect our own personal barriers to change which we we touched upon before the fourth one is emotions trump logic every time in in fact it, it, in fact, there was a great a Portuguese neuroscientist did a piece of work on people who had damaged part of their brain, and I love yep. this. And 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 the the damage meant that they couldn't actually feel emotions anymore. So they were like Spock from Star Trek. And then they found a side effect of that is they couldn't make a decision either. So they didn't know what to wear, what to eat. You know, it was I'll I'll have three parts protein and and four parts fit carbohydrate. No, it doesn't work that way. You know. yeah. So so emotion is so important to all of us, and yet we seem to, the logical leader pushes it aside. So emotion trumps logic every time. And the last one is, we only change if we want to. We don't change if we're told to. So if we come right back to really how you opened this, which I thought was great, is that, so as leaders, to me, probably the best definition of leadership, at least for 2021, is our job is to help our people to want to change. And Mm -hmm. it's a simple and as complex as that. As that. And as, as individuals, we can be our own leader of change, and we'll talk about that later.
1: I love that. Uh, the job as leaders is to help. Yes. Can't force our yep. people to want to change. Yep. Wow. That yep. puts a point on, I get that one. Okay, all right, before um in case the my person from this past week is listening, just for the record, we're not saying that you' come out with a strategic initiative that you haven't done some analysis and logic on, but that when it comes down to persuasion, to getting people involved, engaged, committed, making change, emotion is going to win the day with a little bit of logic,
2: yeah. and and in fact, that's that's why I say it's the bedrock. I mean, thank goodness that that your client has done that work. But in a lot of leaders think that if I just present that, there'll be rounds of applause and then we can all start to to, to implement it. And, And we humans don't work that way.
1: Right. I've often described um, the change cycle happening in the following way because I often pick it up in the middle of the organization when everybody's frustrated. So, you have a senior leadership team who thinks about it for a while. They go away. They do workshops. They talk to consultants. They work out a strategy. They work around their own emotions, kind of a messy mm-hmm. process. Yeah. And then they come out with an announcement, thinking that the announcement will now carry the day for everybody else because they are so smart. Yeah. <laughs> and then fail to admit that the rest of the organization now has to go through the same messy process. Why not this? Why are we doing this? Right timing, all the emotions, everything associated with it before they can catch up. By which point, the leadership team is on to the next change. Completely, <laughs> completely, because the first one didn't work. All right, fair enough. Complete. In, fa- in fact,
2: I've got uh, in, in one of the workshops I did for a, for a, a multinational who flew all of their CEOs into to London. I, I put up. I've got something I call the change matrix, and on the y-axis is the, the size of the change from small to large, and the x-axis is where the magic happens, and that's the degree of control that you, personal control, have over the change. Mm-hmm. So, if, if you think of the top two quadrants in that, if you can, I'm waving my arms around, yep. um, is the left-hand one is big change that's done to us, and that's the burning platform change that mm-hmm. we're all familiar with, and, and we undergo a rollercoaster of emotions there that starts. Starts with denial and and uh, starts with shock, sorry, and moves on to denial and goes through Kubler Ross's change curve. But th- that we all know about. The other side, though, is big change we instigate. And that we in that quadrant, we still go through an emotional roller coaster it 's a little different, but it starts with excitement, and I call it the the quantum leap change curve, so there there's two change curves and when I was explaining this to to uh, the, these clients, one of them stood up who was running Singapore office and said, "Could you stop there Campbell? i 've just realized why ninety percent of my change initiatives fail." I'm on the right hand side. I've instigated the change and I'm, I'm there with excitement. Everyone else is in shock and denial <laughs> because I haven't got everyone on board beforehand. Exactly. Exactly, there. exactly.
1: Or a say, and <laughs> what it means and how it goes, a degree of control, as you said. Yep. Okay, so let me tackle one of the things that you talk about quite prolifically. Mm-hmm. And that is, most of the times, I'm going to pick on my colleagues at business schools, we go to business school, or we go to a consulting company, and we're going to hear about the change process. Yep. The nine steps that you must go through not to name any particular agency, or the house of change, or the whatever, there's a zillion yep. models out there, a coddler's mm-hmm. change process, process, Um, but you say it's not a process.
2: I what I what I say is that process is important, but for goodness' sake, let's remember it's just an enabler. You know, if you you the the number of change initiatives I've seen that haven't succeeded is because they've taken their eye off the outcomes. The process has become all encompassing, and you have to have a process or a process depending on which hemisphere I'm in at the time. You know, you you have to have those, but it's a roadmap and it's an aid. So we change catalysts who focus on the outcomes and drive people to deliver the change we need. We need someone to help us with the process because if we don't have it, it's a, you know, if without the outcomes, a process is a roadmap to absolutely nowhere, but, but just with, with outcomes and, and, and emotionally intelligent leaders um, we still need a process to make sure we actually deliver. So it actually needs both, but nine times out of 10, it's, too much focus on the process. So what I, what I say in my workshops is there's this little quote, I don't know where it came from, which says, the operation was a complete success. Unfortunately, the patient died. Right. And it's that <laughs> exactly. sort of thing. It's like, wow, wasn't that a great process? Was anything delivered? No. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Did we succeed in our goals? And I think that takes us right back to why 80% or 70% or 65% or even, heaven forbid, 90% don't actually deliver the outcomes we were expecting to get them. They fail to achieve their goals. Okay. Um, We've talked a little bit about the barriers that people erect to change. So we've talked about my expertise and I don't feel like it's been given due course. We've talked about, my own sense of insecurity. Can I do this? Uh, We've talked about a sense of identity. Am I a kind of person who sees myself doing this sort of thing, being associated Mm -hmm. with this? We see it as a team process. You know, I may think it's great, but all my mates think it's a bad idea that makes it hard to get on. Uh, Are there other barriers we need to be aware of?
2: Well, there, there, there are lots, really. I mean, if, if you go through the change curve, you, you very quickly, you know, d- go from, from anger to fear into, into, uh, into a trough of, of hopelessness if it's big change that's done to you without any warning. And, and I think there are quite a few fears, I think, are the main ones. Fear of failure is very common. Mm-hmm. Fear of the unknown um, is, is obvious but still common. And also a fear of blame. So fear of being blamed for not changing mm-hmm. earlier. And I see all of those in in business all the time. Fear of failure is a is is an enormous one, and and leaders should expect their people to have some degree of fearing, uh, being afraid that they're going to fail if the change is that big. So so what I recommend is that pe- that leaders work with their people and with themselves to chunk it down into bite sized chunks, so to take away the. Um, to take away the the degree of failure, if you like, that that that, uh, that is possible. Actually, Ritz Carlton banned the word failure from their corporate lexicon, and they replaced it with glitch. And I thought that was fabulous because a glitch is something you can recover from, learn from, and move on. A failure is a bit terminal. But anyway, <laughs> I, I I quite like that. Okay. So it's fear of failure, fear of blame, and and also fear of the unknown. So let's 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 get together with the people and help to make the unknown familiar uh, and and to set people up to succeed. But the first step is to recognize that they will have some fears about this new change. Great.
1: And saying the only thing we have to fear is fear itself is uh, while necessarily true, doesn't actually get you very far in dealing with it. It doesn't.
2: Yeah. <laughs> I right. can nod and I go, yeah, that's great. Okay. But I'm not sure.
1: doesn't so help me with how I feel about it right I'm now. I'm a
2: loser for being afraid. Yeah, good. Thanks. <laughs> <That's really
1: helpful. laughs> All right. I have seen leaders who take your bite-sized chunks to heart. Mm-hmm. So they have a grand vision for where they want the organization to be three, maybe even five years out, more often three because they're a bit impatient. A bit obsessive about getting there. And I will even argue they're right. So that's where the organization will perform its best. But they roll it out in small waves. So, like, there's the first six months wave, and you think, oh, shoo, we got through that. And then, oh, by the way, here's the next six months wave. But they never weigh out the long grand scheme. So, now, do you think that's a good strategy or a bad strategy?
2: Well, I think you're leading the witness here. I, I think there's, there's, you've got to keep your eye on the outcome. There was a one of my clients telegraphed years in advance of two new parts of the business they were going to create, and by the and 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 when they started to create the business, everyone was saying, "Oh, thank goodness, we've actually started doing this." And yes, they chunked it up into phase one and phase two, but but the phases themselves weren't something to to sort of. Um, collapse and exhaustion at the end of it was just a little milestone to keep to to keep going the the way i used used it before was is it really personal change barriers if i'm scared of 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 taking a big leap why don't i chunk it down to small steps and if i have a stumble i can recover Um, but the same thing is true in true true in business so it's it's setting people up to to succeed at every stage but also it's being flexible so mm. so strategy cannot be let's set the 3 year or 5 year strategy in in um in stone anymore. In fact it never could but we yeah. we, we convinced ourselves or you know conned ourselves into thinking could. Now to me strength is in flexibility or flexibility is is strength when it comes to When it comes to strategy, yes, we need to know what sort of company we're going to deliver and and what gives us the right to be successful and why do we exist and for whom. And with those solid foundations, we can be really flexible in how we get there, the timeline we get there. And if things change along the way, which they will, then we need leaderships, leaders to be strong enough in their own beliefs um, and their own self-confidence to be able to go, okay. We're now tweaking the outcome because facts have changed. So, right. yes, right. flexibility is, is, is strength. Chunk it up by all means, but, but don't, don't set them as, as do or die, you know, hurdles for right. everyone to right. stumble over. Right.
1: <laughs> okay. Perfect. There's a lot to digest in this whole segment when you stop to think about it. So I'm going to start with a um, phrase that we opened with, which is, "As as a leader, your job is to lead change. Otherwise, you're just leading the status quo, and we have to wonder what leadership is about there. And then I love your statement that the role of a leader is to help your people to want to change because people only change when they want to. And I think the third message coming through of all of this one is not only is change a messy process, it's an emotional process. So you have to engage at the emotional level, which means at the fear level and at the excitement level and give people a role to play in defining this change. Some portion of it, at least some degree of control, which you highlighted. All right. That is a a one-minute cap of what was a very lengthy conversation. (laughs) So we're going to take a break at this point. My guest today is Campbell McPherson, international business advisor, and having been a leader himself in a variety of places, two books, The Change Catalyst, and more importantly, the second book, The Power to Change, How to Embrace Change and Make It Work for You. When we come back from break, that's where we're going to pick up. How do you as an individual embrace the change that is ahead of you in the current climate? We'll be right back. This is Wanda Wallace, host of Out of the Comfort Zone. Do you find yourself in a role where your team knows more than you know? Are you struggling to see how you now add value? For years, I've coached leaders who have moved beyond the comfort zone of their expertise and have developed a methodology to help them make the leap and go on to do more. All of those tips are now packed into my new book, You Can't Know It All. Visit our website at leadership-forum.com or tune in to Out of
0: the Comfort Zone for more insight. If you want more information on the articles, books, coaching, and seminars we offer, go to our website at www.leadershipforuminc.com. You're sure to find some helpful links, videos, and more to help you create a winning strategy for your organization. Leadership Forum. Helping organizations get it and keep it.
1: Hi, I'm Wanda Wallace, host of Out of the Comfort Zone. We have some amazing guests with some incredibly good ideas about how to take your leadership to the next level. But I find people are looking for more practical ways of implementing those ideas. So we've created an individual subscription service specifically to focus on how to apply. You'll find more about that at www.outofthecomfortzone.com. We have two additional subscription services, one for the social group that want to exchange ideas and perspectives with a group and talk about career advancement. And we have a master's level for people who want to take a deeper dive, all on outofthecomfortzone.com. We hope you'll join us.
2: When it
0: comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network.
1: Welcome back to the show. My guest today is Campbell McPherson. The books we have been talking about first is The Change Catalyst, which is the role of the leader in driving change. The main hint from that one is it's about emotion. It's about engaging with your people at an emotional level, at their fear level, and helping them to want to change. Now we want to talk about the second book, which is The Power to Change, How to Embrace Change and Make It Work for You, especially in the current environment. And I suspect for years and years and years to come, we're going to be facing increasing complexity, increasing chaos, increasing uncertainty as we all think about what it means to be back at work and what the new normal looks like, because I don't think it will be the old normal by any stretch of the imagination. How do we as individuals embrace change? So, Campbell, here we go. I have my first question for you.
2: Okay, follow
1: I have always believed, and I think you've already alluded to this, that people only change when they want to change. Mm -hmm. You said that because the job of the leader is to help people to want to change. Yep. But I secretly believe people change when they see what they have to gain by the change. It's about seeing the upside of the change as opposed to the thing they have to lose in the change. And to give you the hint, this is Kahneman and Tversky's research that's driving my thinking. Uh-huh. What's your view of that? Do you agree with me disagree with me?
2: I really do uh, agree. And there's there's a, a model that I use in a number of my workshops, uh, both the leading change ones and the embracing change uh, w- webinars and workshops that I run. And it's a, it's a model from a from an Australian neuroscientist, actually called the SCARF model. Yep. Um, and it's a similar it's a very similar sort of thing. And it's just a really nice little acronym. And it, it means that that if if your status um, and your, now I've got to remember what the SCARF model actually is there, um, the status, your, um, I wonder what the C, autonomy is the A, uh, relationships and fairness. And I'll come back to whatever the C is uh, uh, later. But if these elements, these characteristics, um, during the change that you perceive is is going to be boosted, then you will be more uh, aligned to the change, and and it's 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 a brilliant model because it's so simple. But if you perceive that your status is going to be affected negatively, as we sort of said before, you're going to be uh, uh, against the change uh, as well. So so if you if it, it, when you're actually looking to implement. Uh, change as a leader, or when you're look when yourself looking at changes has happened to you, or you're going to implement change for yourself, it's good to go through these these five little uh, areas and say well how, I know i 'm going to be for the change if my you know if my status is is uh, is going to be positive autonomy or my relationships are are, good, are going to be positive you know if I surround myself with with radiators, not drains you know or if I feel that this is being fair or that i 'm being fairly treated so so where we started this conversation is I do agree with you, and there are different models um, uh, and that we all need to be aware that 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 we, we need carrots and sticks, you know, to, to right. either as a leader or as when if, if we're leading ourselves through change, because we can all be our own change leaders, but okay. we certainly need need carrots and need to boost our um uh, our, our confidence and and our willingness to want to change, right. even when we instigate it. Yes.
1: All right. Scarf, it's David Rock. And I can't remember what the C is either, by the way. But at any rate, it's David Rock. You can Google it and find it, the scarf model. And the notion that each of those are things that we all care about and want, some of us maybe more so than others on some of them. But without those positives, we're not going to do the change.
2: Yeah. All
1: right. So now
2: let's talk about the path of change. Here we go. It's a really important one. Sorry to interrupt. It's certainty. I just looked Certainty. Okay. Good. And that's probably the most important one of the whole lot. And i have added added a <laughs> I've added a sixth one, and that's values. If your personal values mm-hmm. are aligned to the change, mm-hmm. you're there.
1: Right. Right. That's also an important. That's back to where we we're talking about about identity. Yep. Um, that it is the kind of person that that I see myself as. I think is really important there. Yep. Okay. So let's say there's a big change initiative. I may or may not be entirely comfortable with all of it. Let's say, you know, I feel like I'm losing something on the relationships. Let's say I'm losing something Mm -hmm. on the certainty. My status is okay. Autonomy, well, we'll see. So I'm in the middle on the scarf model on change. Mm -hmm. What's the path that I now need to anticipate that I'm going to go down in
2: change? Well, Alluded to it before. There are, there are one of the best tools I think to d- to describe this is is decades and decades old, and it's it's Elizabeth Kubler Ross's change curve that every one of of we change practitioners have have taken and sort of made our own. And and I, as I said, I call it the burning platform change curve for, for for obvious reasons. And and one of the biggest ways, the first step. There we go. That's the best way to say it. The first step. In order to be embracing change successfully, is to realise that, that that whenever big change is done to us, that we we go through a rollercoaster of emotions, and those emotions are okay. I mean, this is we're ending this. at... We're recording this at the end of Mental Health Week, so it's it's good to, to be stating this, is that the emotions we go through when big change is done to us, we we start with shock, we go through denial, we get angry, we go through fear, we go through some form of depression or anxiety, um, uh, but it's anxiety and depression are different things. We we get a, a not clinical depression. I'm talking about where we feel down, we're flat, and that's the trough of the curve. Then we build uh, our head kicks in with some understanding and then our heart kicks in with acceptance and we can start to embrace the change. We go through that change curve. Everybody does at different rates at different amplitudes at, at different wavelengths really, but we we all go through it and it's normal. So to realize that those changes are normal can be can can can, can almost be like losing weight, you know, it can, you can feel quite free, quite in some of my workshops so one of the, the one of the people in, um, who was going through, the, going, participating in the workshop came up to me afterwards because I noticed she was crying through a lot of it, and, and, and she said my, that her father had died three weeks before, and just knowing that these emotions that you, you were just describing what I'd gone through, to know they were normal, I thought I was weak, I thought I was bad, I thought I was wrong, I, I, I thought I was wallowing, I thought all of these negative things, and to realise they're normal is a huge first step. What I do try and um, uh, help people with and, and explain to people is, but at some point you need to look at yourself in the mirror or to help someone, to look to, to help them, to ask them the question is, you're right, this is not fair, this has been done to you, you, are, you have been the victim of this change. Now, what are we going to do about it? Because at some point you've got to move your way up the, up the curve. But we've all found in this last year that we can um we can uh, instigate not instigate what's the word we can cope with we can embrace big change that is forced upon us with remarkable speed and 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 wholehearted commitment you know right across the world we went into lockdowns and we we did it quicker than we could ever possibly have believed um and we did it with with full heart with our full full passion another thing we also found this this last year is that anxiety isn't just something that someone else Um, struggles with because this year everyone to one degree or another has had a period of anxiety for either, either heightened or, you know, to to some degree we've all felt anxious because we didn't know what was coming next. So, so isn't that a wonderful empathetic and emotionally intelligent thing to, to, to think. And I've seen a lot of leaders uh, suddenly realize that anxiety isn't something that happens to other people. It happens to everybody. And goodness me, what can I do to help my people to, Accept the fact that uncertainty is just part of life. Well, to do that, I've got to start to accept that it's part of life myself, uh, which, which is really what we're talking about today.
1: Okay. So now I encounter people, as I'm sure you do as well, who like things to be highly predictable. And some personalities like the variety and they're, they're a little easier to roll with the uncertainty. Mm. But some like to know, I know what I'm going to be doing every Friday at three o'clock or to pick wherever. They just yep. like that predictability. How do you help those people cope with what I'm imagining is much higher degree of anxiety? Any advice?
2: yes the, the, the advice comes back to those five you know, truth truths about change is is to be able to realize that actually change is um, uh, is inevitable one, one of the we, we talked about this in one of the workshops we, we normally have a great discussion about what we 've learned about change in this last year, and one lady who was exactly as you described. She she said suddenly it was all thrown. There was no routine in her life and it was completely thrown and she couldn't go outside. And the fact that she didn't want to go outside wasn't the point, just that she couldn't. Um <laughs> and, and that caused the anxiety. And and she she ended up doing, she said, right, what I'm going to do, I'm going to do three things just for me every single day. What we talk about here is building our resilience, really. Mm-hmm. Um And resilience is not just about stoicism. Um, It's it's about understanding that emotions are okay, that emotions are real, and that we we let's harness them and make them work for us. But what she did is I'm going to do three things um, every day just for me, for my own good, you know, for my own... welfare for my own well-being and she said one was that she was going to go for a half hour walk every morning and if she you know if she couldn't do that then it was a walk on a treadmill or half an hour of of exercise whatever it was um she was going to cook herself a nutritious meal she wasn't just going to order order something in from uber eats you know and and the third thing i can't remember what it was um but she was doing three things every just for her nothing to do with work nothing to do with any schedules and and that started to give her um the ability to to to, to build her resilience to be able to strangely if you like um to cope with the fact that that she didn't have a, a right. um a, right. a, a, a a schedule um, right. And actually, and the sh- the schedule she was getting, which was all Zoom calls, was being forced upon her. Right. So there's a bunch of ways to 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 build our resilience, um, and and I think that is a really important one. And the most important one is nurturing a positive view of ourselves. You know, everything we do needs to start from from a from a point of from a point of understanding the value that we personally add. To know that our strengths. To, to, see our, to, to really know our strengths, to, to, to do our, be our own change catalyst, really, our own, our own consultant, right. is to understand our strengths, to see our allowable weaknesses and, and think, well, that's allowable, and, and to really understand the value that we actually add to, to situations. And uh, if we can do that, then I think we can cope with just about everything.
1: Yeah. So two things there that really stand out for me. One is like the lady who says, I'm going to do three things for myself. What you're pointing to is to people being able to say, yes, there's this change. It may be unfair. I don't like it. It may be to my disadvantage, but I am not out of control of everything.
2: Exactly. Work out what you can control. And these were three things she could control every day. Yeah. Right. What I like okay. to say is that we, 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 even when we're in the trough of that curve and we think that we're out of control, we're not because we can control one thing at least, and that is how we react to the change. Right. So once we distance ourselves from the negative thoughts and the fears and the anxiety and we just observe them, which is a very yogic thing to be saying, but let's just observe. Goodness me, I was angry there. I've, I I am anxious. I I don't identify, that's not me, because I'm now observing it. So I've suddenly given myself some space to the anxiety or the or the the um, the worry or the concern or the fear that I've got. And that's the first step to be able to uh, starting to tackle it when we realize it's not us. It's it's an emotion that we happen to be feeling.
1: Great, great. The second thing you said, so one is there is something I can t- control, find it, do it. Yes. Yes. Give you give yourself some <laughs> sense of stability, one thing. The second thing is a positive view of yourself. And I'm going to reframe this one slightly because I just did this recently with someone um, who's close to me. Oh, no good. Because it's easy to say, this is wrong about me, and I'm not good enough at this, and this is a flaw, and you know, I should be better at that. And you work yourself into a state of anxiety, just focusing all the things that, yes, you're not very good at. And so what I said was, let's take that negative and look at the flip side of it. So in this particular case, a little bit of obsessiveness about detail, Mm -hmm. but at the same time, that obsessiveness about detail is what made that individual really powerful in the job that they were doing. So yes, there's a dark side to every behavior we have, but there's also an upside to it. Mm. And it's, you know, you can choose to to focus on which side you want. And what you're saying is see the value that I bring.
2: And also, I think that what, 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 we're, what we're both saying and probably have said is that I, I think our strengths are also our greatest weaknesses. You know, it's, it's the fact that oh, yes. I, I really like people and I like to be liked. You know, I really like people and I like building relationships. And the, the flip side to that is I really like to be liked a little bit too much. <laughs> <laughs>
1: of course. <laughs> Of course. Yes. I think that's just so today. say we all have them. And for every great strength, there is, we often there use is. to describe it as the dark side. And my now current state of awareness, I won't say dark side any longer, but there is the shadow side. Of yeah. exactly that sort of behavior,
2: and that, I like allowable weakness i don 't like the term weakness i 've got to think of something else, but I really like the allowable you know if we, if we think we 're perfect so when I was with Anderson Consulting many years ago i was I was, um, I was selling lots of business, but I was a senior manager, so I was being assessed on how good a project manager I was, and I was a rubbish project project manager and I, and I said to the partner who was assessing me for the, for the year so Why do you want me to be a project manager? You've got millions of them.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. That means, though, you have to find one, join them at the hip with you, and listen to what they say if you're going to get the job done. I know many people who do that as well.
2: give me the detail on how. (laughs)
1: Yeah. While we're on this one, though, I will say that there are some areas that are not strengths that become derailers. That so you can't say every weakness is an allowable weakness. Some you got to come up the curve at least a little bit on those. Um, Not every one of them, though. Okay. So what do we make sure we don't do as we're trying to change ourselves?
2: We don't. We we don't base our hope on empty wishes. We don't say, "Well, next year everything is going to be great." or we say, "I'm going to do." You know, you can't turn a monkey international sort of thing. You know, we we politicians all the time sell hope based on baseless wishes, and uh, and but but wouldn't that be great if that happened? And we we tend to go along with it. That's a that's a, a human thing. Well, we we can't con ourselves, so let's not con ourselves. Let's let's fully understand what our strength is and where the value is that we add to our relationships to 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 our uh, business to ourselves um, and then we can base our plans our future i wouldn't say hope you know hope positive hope hope based on not on empty wishes but on actual an, an understanding of your strengths so let's be honest with that our, with ourselves and 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 then we can actually look forward to build on our strengths to leverage our strengths to know where we need help to either improve our weaknesses or to plug them um and uh, so, yeah, what we don't do is con ourselves or, okay. or you know, fool ourselves.
1: I certainly see that a lot. And I saw that at the beginning of the pandemic where people said, well, we'll be back in the office by June of 2020, by the way, okay. not 2021. And so all I need is a holding pattern strategy to get me through the next three months and it'll be OK.
2: Yep.
1: Which is a bit of conning yourself of what's coming as opposed to. What if I'm here for the next two years? What would I be doing as a result of that? All right. Fair enough. Okay. Since you are the change specialist Mm -hmm. and have done a lot of studies around changing yourself, I know this is a big passion of yours, what takes you out of your comfort zone and what's your secret to success?
2: Oh, they are such huge, huge questions. Um, I'm out of my comfort zone all the time i don't i and i've i've my careers have been been like that i've been i was a, a an organization design consultant who then was was asked if they wanted to be hr director of a thousand person firm and i went sure never done that before that sounds great you know i was a uh, i was asked if i wanted to be a marketing director of, of and start virgin wines when i'd never done that before so i'm um, i was Always take myself out of the comfort zone. So doing something completely new for the first time is actually something that I've done a lot, but but I sort of wish that I wouldn't just put my hand up and have new projects <laughs> all the time. Couldn't I do something? So now I'm actually doing something that I that 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 uh, is is I wouldn't. It's new, but it's not brand new. You know, every time <laughs> at least there's a theme. So out of my comfort zone is doing something new. um, all the time all the time um (sighs) secret to success uh in my strange way i'll 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 never be successful enough and and i'll I'll never be and and i'll always have been successful so it's it's my wife and i have this conversation all the time the the secret to any success is self-belief and a support network the number of people i've seen with self with confidence over competence if you like but with self belief and a support network i for a, for the third book that i talk about some other time um i spoke i've spoken to a lot of sports associations of sports people and they help their sport people to move on change careers at ages 20 and and 30 Mm -hmm. and one of the biggest things that they do is they surround them with a support network of and they help them to say who is your support network and who's your coach is that your family is it is it who who can you rely on um in times of the who if you what skills do you need to develop how are you developing them Um, Mm and and it's Mm -hmm. the, the idea of support network goes hand in hand with self-belief. And I think that's the secret to any success, to be honest.
1: I think it's hard to have self-belief without some support network. Yeah, I agree. And it's also hard to have a support network without some self-belief. They're a very cyclical relationship. But I can't tell you how many people I watch trying to push themselves into an uncomfortable space and mm. don't think they should ask for help. And I don't mean like, my uncle, I can't do it. Just ideas,
2: even completely. I mean so many people who have been promoted, I call it the rabbit in the headlights, you know look um, in that they've been promoted and they they can't admit to themselves that they've never done this before, so therefore they're not quite sure what to do. Uh, and what I tell leaders is when you promote people, Set them up to succeed. Give them the support that that, that they need. And we need to do that ourselves as well.
1: Okay. All right. Perfect. Campbell McPherson, it's been great to talk to you today. And Campbell's my guest. The books we've been talking about, The Change Catalyst, and the second book, The Power to Change, How to Embrace Change and Make It Work for You. I still think my takeaway for the entire thing is the leader's role is to help your people to want to change, Mm. which means it's emotion. It's about fear. It's about that emotion cycle. And it's about helping people see what they can do on their own behalf. So thanks for joining us.
2: Absolute pleasure. What a great oh, hour. Thank you.
1: Thank you. Join us next week for more wisdom and getting out of your own comfort zone. And if you want to know more, check out our subscription service at out of the comfort See you next week.
0: Thank you for joining us today.